We are so grateful to the kindness you've shown us, Lord, all these years, and we pray that the words that are preached today would uh, find ripe soil and they would take root and that you would help us to grow in the knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, through today's message. Help us to um, focus on him, focus on the words that are saying, um, said today and are preached, and help us to pay attention, help us to um, um, this, uh, grow so we may help others in this area, others in this valley, and spread this truth that is preached. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. would please turn with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 14. And here in this section, of course, we have this uh, dialogue that's been going on with Jesus and his disciples. And in this passage, Judas, not Iscariot, asks uh, Jesus a question. And it is a fitting question, really, for um, what Jesus, all that Jesus has been talking about. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. We may only get uh, down to verse 24, but I'll begin at verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from hence. Amen. And if I, I had to summarize these next few verses, uh, down really to verse 26, I would summarize it in this way. What are we looking at here? Or what is Christ talking about? In light of this question, Christ reveals Himself, or He is going to reveal Himself to His apostles by the Spirit. The evidence that the Spirit indwells a believer is by His love for Christ, displayed in obedience to His command and empowering us to understand and obey His Word. 
a long, long sentence. May not even be a sentence. I don't, I don't know if I made a full sentence there. But the, the, Judas asks a particular question, and of course, it's fitting. It, Judas asks, "How are you going to reveal yourself to the world and not to us? How is it that you're going to do this?" First, Jesus says, of course, in verse 23, He's going to do this by the Spirit. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And it's in that clause. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So, the Father and the Son are going to come. We see what that coming looks like, of course, in verse um, 26. Look there. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, that is how the Father and the Son come to the believers. That is how they come. But now note with me, of course, note, note with me, that the receiving of the Spirit is evidenced by... Love and obedience. Love and obedience. We, we looked at this last week. I'm not going to spend too much time. We looked at it at uh, verses uh, 20 through 21 last week. But listen to what he says. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. This is not an if-then kind of statement, though. The, the, the point that Jesus is making here is not that if anyone loves me, then we will come to him and make our home with him. That's not it. It's this way. If anyone loves me, then he will keep my word. That's where the then should be. So those who love Christ, what is it, what is, how, how is it evidence? What is the proof that you love the Lord Jesus? That you love God. You obey Him. You don't obey Him so that He might love you. We saw from 1 John 4 last week that that is not the case. God loves us first, and that's why we are able to love Him. But the evidence must be displayed. So, why, why would Jesus make this point, though? Because of Judas's question. How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And then He turns to him and He says, If you me, then you will keep my commandments. That's the distinction between the world and the disciple. The distinction is evident by evidence. What is the evidence? Love and obedience to God. That is what Jesus is pointing out here. Jesus is pointing out the distinction between the disciples and the world. And that is a distinction that is still applicable for us today. What is the difference between you, a Christian man, a Christian woman, and your unbelieving friend? The distinction ought to be that uh, in, in many, uh, you could describe it in many ways, but if you want to describe it essentially, it's that you love God. And therefore, your love to Him ought to be evidence in submitting yourself to His will. So that, that is the prime difference. Here is the difference between the believer and the unbeliever, practically speaking. One loves God, the other one doesn't. And that love for God is seen in obedience to His Word. And then God will come. We will come to Him and make our home with Him.
What's interesting is that throughout the, throughout the New Testament, li listen to the language, the way that this relationship of indwelling is described. Look at Ephesians first. Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, Paul says this. And this is what reference to this making our home with Him. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 22. I'll read from verse 19 for the sake of context. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, speaking to Gentiles, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having built, been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, their teaching... Right, that, that, that is the, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets is the foundation. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone out of, out of all their doctrines that they teach, the most important one, Christ. In whom the whole building, being fit together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Right? So, so what's this view? The, the view or the way that Paul chooses to illustrate what is happening, what God is doing with Gentiles and Jews is he is building the spiritual temple. The foundation is the doctrine, the cornerstone, the most important part uh, upon which the foundation and the entire structure is going to be laid is Christ himself. In whom, in Christ, you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So corporately there is an indwelling. The God the Father indwells us. That, that name, that, the reference to God there, capital G, is to the Father. So when Jesus says in John that the Father and I will come and make our home with Him, this is a truth that Paul himself teaches. Because when the Spirit comes, because of the union that exists between the persons and the Trinity, the because of the union that exists between the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are there, indwelling and abiding. Look at Ephesians 3, 17. Uh, I'll read from verse 14. For this reason I bow my knee, knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. What's the purpose? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, and depth, and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, uh, he speaks of Christ also indwelling the believer. Christ comes by virtue of the Spirit. So the statement that Jesus makes that we will make our home with Him is another way of saying what He says in verse 26. The way that I'm going to reveal myself to you, Judas, the way that I'm going to reveal myself to my disciples, to those who love and obey me,
is by virtue of the Spirit indwelling you. The Father and I and the Spirit will come by virtue of this indwelling. One more passage. And this is in uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. And uh, we'll return to that passage in Ephesians 3.17 later. But note here, I'll read from verse 14, 2 Corinthians 14, 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what, of what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And you can say none. We, we, there, there is a very true sense where we do not share in the same things because they do not share in Christ. Now, the fact of the matter is that we were once in their position. There's no, there's no reason for us to uh, try to degrade or try to act as if we are better than unbelievers. Because Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 and in other places, but in Ephesians chapter 2 in particular, what does he say? And such were some, oh, well that's in 1 Corinthians, and such were some of you. But there in um, Ephesians, he says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. That was our condition until Christ by the Spirit made us alive. But we don't have any part with them. Because the things that we share in, they do not share in. That is the reason why Christ will not manifest Himself or does not manifest Himself to the world. They have no part with Him. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Right? This is the new covenant. This is a promise of the new covenant, that God would indwell His people. So when, when Judas Iscariot asks, how are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? In other words, Jesus says, I'm going to do it by the Spirit. I'm going to manifest myself. I'm going to reveal myself to my disciples by the Spirit. The evidence, of course, that they are His is their obedience to Him. In other words, by this evidence, He is identifying those whom He will reveal Himself to. Now look at verse 25. Uh, John, I'm sorry. John chapter 14, verse 25. Let's turn back there. So you have the question. You have Jesus' answer. Jesus' answer is... By the Spirit, and by the Spirit, that is how I will reveal myself. Now look at verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Same, same theme there. 25. This evidence of obedience. Evidence of the indwelling of the Spirit is obedience, love to God. Look at verse 25 now. These things I have spoken to you while I am present with you. And that is where the contrast is in this speaking. 
I have, Jesus, in other words, says, I have spoken these things to you. Right? Now. I'm doing that now. Verbally. I'm using words. I'm standing here physically in your presence and I'm communicating to these truths to you. But the Helper... You see, the, the, the helper, the, the contrast, I believe, is that the helper does not stand physically or speak audibly to the disciples. That's not what he does. Listen, and uh, in the but there, you have the contrast. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. So, um, if, if, I, if, if I want... Let me, th let me think here. I'm trying to think of a, a cartoon or a movie, but I can't think of any right off the top of my head. So, let me make an illustration here. If I wanted to reveal to you what was in my head, what I was thinking about, let's say what I wanted for lunch, what would I have to do? I would have to t use words. I would have to speak to do it. Right? I would have to reveal to you my mind, or what's in my mind, or what's in my mind that I want to put in my belly. I would have to reveal that to you. But, um, and that's what Christ does. But God, but let's say, in, in your own mind, you're debating whether you want pizza or uh, something else. Uh, Puerto Rican food from the little cart over there. And you're, you're, and you're having this debate in your own mind. Does anyone have to be included? No, that's private. You can have that in your own mind and you can resolve to uh, eat Puerto Rican food. Right? So you have these, these two. So for me to reveal my mind to others, I have to speak. For me to consider what's going on in my mind, I, I don't have to say anything. All right. Now, for the Spirit of the living God to reveal the mind of God to the people of God, how does He do it? Does He do it audibly? No, He doesn't. He teaches and brings to remembrance, the best way to say it is, mystically. He does it similar to the way that you have that conversation in your mind. Not with an audible voice, but by means of instructs, instructing. Let me, sh let me show you from some passages. Look at 1 Corinthians. and So two words then. Um, teaching and bringing to remembrance have to do with illumination and, on the other hand, inspiration. This has to do particularly now, this instruction that Jesus is giving has to do particularly with the twelve. Right? There's a context. He's speaking to a particular group of believers. I'm going to show you this and then I'm going to show you how these truths can be applied to, to us. So first, by means of illumination, the Spirit teaches. So when He says, He will teach you all things, how does He do it? By illumination. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. And we've referenced this passage many times. This, this, this text 
The fancy word for this passage is this is a locus classicus, right? Which is, uh, you can say, a classic location or uh, an important location for this particular truth that the Spirit is the one who enables us to understand the things of God. Locus classicus, right here. Ready? Look at verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen, right? nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Why? Because they were in the mind of God. And he had not revealed them. Therefore, the eye can't see it, the ear can't hear it, and the heart can't feel it. But, God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Right? Those, those hypothetical conversations that are going on. In the, in the mind of God as I use that poor illustration but those things the spirit knows and discerns them and what does he do oh well he asks a question he says for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him no, no, no man knows except the spirit that is in him right that's it even so no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God so, so how will, Jesus, how will you manifest yourself to, to us, Judas, not Iscariot asks. Jesus says, I'm going to do it by the Spirit. And the Spirit will come and He will teach you and He will bring to remembrance those things that I have taught you because He is God and He knows the mind of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But now look back at verse 13 and look at the word that he uses, chooses to use. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Spiritual words. Not audible words. Not perceptible with the human ear, but understandable by the Spirit. Now, of course... Because of so much false teaching, particularly in a charismatic kind of churches, people are expecting to hear an audible voice from God. That's what they want. They want, they, they want God to say to them, Good morning, you should not have cream today, don't take that exit. Right? They want that kind of interaction with God. But that's not the way that God has chosen to interact with man in this particular age. What God does is, again, I'll use the word, He works mystically. And the reason I use that word is because although the text tells us the way that the Spirit will do it, I could not explain it to you on a Venn, like with a Venn diagram or with charts or with a computer program. Because it is, uh, again, we are, we're not just physical beings. 
We're spiritual beings. And on a spiritual level, there is a union and a relationship to God now that exists between the believer. Where the Spirit illuminates and enables the believer to understand the things that are taught in the Word in a way where the unbeliever can't. So, the Spirit teaches. He will teach you all things. How does He do it? Mystically, spiritually, by indwelling us. And, so we can say illumination, and He will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, with this particular passage, you see you, this, uh, that, that particular text, you see that He's talking to the disciples specifically. And there are a number of passages that point us in that direction. Listen to Mark 13, 9 through 11. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be, you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. Now, I... I think that what he's describing there in uh, Mark chapter 13 verse 9 is what happens in the book of Acts. Some people will view it, no, this is going to happen at the end of the age. This is the Olivet Discourse. No, these things happen right in the book of Acts. They're delivered to councils. They're beaten in the synagogues. Remember, John and um, uh, Peter are beaten and they leave rejoicing. You will be brought before rulers and kings. Who does, who does Paul stand before? Rulers and kings. And what does he do? For the sake of Christ and to give them a testimony. This, these are the things that happen in the book of Acts. That's why I'm saying that this phrase, remembrance, it's first and primary application. What he's saying, he's talking to the eleven. And he's saying to them, the Spirit is going to teach you. He's going to illuminate the Scriptures. Not only will he illuminate the Scripture, but he's going to bring to your memory the things that I said to you. And that's why they can stand the way that they do and preach the word in front of the councils, but also that's how they write scripture. Because of this special ministry that the Spirit has in helping them remember the things that Jesus said. Verse 10 in Mark 13. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So he's speaking to the twelve, and what he's saying, when you stand before men, and you think even of, of, of course, Stephen wasn't here, but you think of Stephen's speech. He rehearses the entire history of the nation of Israel and makes specific application. Listen to Acts 4.8 in fulfillment of this promise. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, how was he enabled to do it? Because he was filled by the Spirit. So he spoke. I'm going to bring to remembrance everything that I said to you, and then you're going to repeat those things to the Jews, to these councils. And then he says, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. And he preaches his sermon. In Acts chapter 14, 13. Now when they saw the boldness, this is the, the Jewish leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now why would we go to that passage? Because the, the, the intellect and the ability to handle the scriptures that the apostles 
Christians had, of course, was from their interaction with Jesus. But much more than that, we know that it's the Spirit working in them. He is empowering them and reminding them of these things. Um, chapter 6, verse 10. And they were not able to resist, the Jewish leaders, were not able to resist the wisdom and the Spirit by which He spoke. You see, what you have happening in the book of Acts is these fulfillments, these promises that Jesus makes to the twelve or to the eleven, they are being fulfilled. They are coming up. God is bringing them about by working through the Spirit and enabling them to speak the words that Christ promised they would remember. Acts 13, 9-11. Then Saul, who, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, all full of deceit and all fraud. Right? So the Spirit gives him the words to speak. Now for us, how does this illuminating and empowering work of the Spirit, how does, how does, this, how do, how does this look? Well, first we have to remember this truth. It's expressed in Ephesians 6, 7 and in Hebrews 4, 12 that the Word of, that the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit Himself, of course, He illumines. But what He illumines is not like our, our thoughts. He illumines or He opens our eyes so that we understand this Word. And then it is by means of the Word that we are empowered by God or we are enabled by the Spirit of God to penetrate into the deep things of God. So he says to the, uh, Paul says in Romans 8, he says, he says, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. He says in Colossians, he says, set your mind on the things which are above where Christ is seated in heavenly places. Right? So the mind is to be active and engaged with the Word. Where Christ is in heaven, what, what he means by that is that's where all the promises are. All of the promises are caught up and they're wrapped up with the person of Christ. Therefore, fix your mind upon his Word and his works. Here. So how does he illumine us? The same way that he illumines the disciples? So I would say mystically. Right? I, I, I don't know how it happens. It's not like brain surgery, you know? Where if you were talking to a neurosurgeon and you asked the neurosurgeon, hey, how did you help that person remember? Well, I went into the cerebral cortex and then I don't know any other brain vocabulary, but he would give you vocabulary and describe tools and methods that he used to, to, to uh, release pressure or to increase it or whatever he did so that the person would remember. We don't have that in the Word. Why? Because it is a mystical work of the Spirit. He does this by his own power. And the ways that it's described in the Bible, you can tell because it, it's quote-unquote mystical. I don't mean mysticism. I mean spiritual with a capital S. We're brought from death to life. We are born again. We're transferred out of one kingdom, placed into another kingdom. We're a new man. We're being conformed into the image of God. The old man is dead, so on and so forth. It's this spiritual language. That's how he enables... And how does he empower us? <clears throat> Excuse me, look at Ephesians now. Uh, Ephesians 3... And around 17. Ephesians chapter 3. 
And listen to how he says it. So Paul, Paul prays. What does he pray for? Verse 16. That God would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. This is, this is the empowering and enabling work of the Spirit. That, that is exactly what happened when they remembered those things that Christ said. They were empowered and enabled to speak the Word. And this work that the Spirit does is the same in us now. But not for inscripturation or not for uh, uh, inspiration in the biblical sense, but to enable us to remember the Word of God that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. The Spirit of God then penetrates deep into the mind and the soul of the believer, conforming and transforming him into the image of Christ. And how does this happen, of course? By interaction with the Word, prayer, preaching, teaching. Verse 17, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend. And, and this is part of being uh, strengthened. If, if you want to be a mature Christian, these are the things that you have to understand. What is the width and the length and the depth and the height? And these are not precise measurements, right? He's not talking you know, 10 feet this way, 20 feet that way. Um, he's giving these dimensions to say, uh, to, to, in essence, to refer to the uh, boundlessness. Because there is no end to the height. There is no end to the depth. There is no end to the width. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That's what he's saying. He, he, we need to be strengthened in the inner man. We need to grow to maturity so that the Spirit can use the Word and work in us to do what? To help us understand how much God loves us in Christ. So how are you going to reveal yourself to us, Jesus? I'm going to do it by the Spirit. Those who love me and keep my commandments, those are the ones to whom I will reveal my, myself to by the Spirit. And the Spirit will do it in a mystical way. He will do it by means of illumination, and He will do it by means of a remembrance, which is, a, is an empowerment for service to God. And that's what He says to His disciples, and that's what He says to us today. Even more so, the Spirit is able to do it now for us. So that as God's people, we are not left by ourselves. So, in light of these things, brothers and sisters, let us turn to God to prayer. Let us give Him thanks and ask Him to do this for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the opportunity of uh, spending time here in Your Word. And we ask, Lord, that You would reveal Yourself to us by Your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.